Hello, and welcome to another episode of the Gargoyle Podcast. I'm Nathan, a.k.a. the Gargoyle. And I'm Eric, a.k.a. the Chimerican. And joining us tonight is a very special guest, Matt Mercer. Say hello, Matt. Hello, I'm here. <laughs> you are, it's true. <laughs> and I'm happy to be. And we are so super happy that you're here. And we're talking over each other, damn it. <laughs> you're you're the fine. guest, you go. <laughs> okay, no, I was just saying I'm excited to be here, and I think what you guys are doing is incredible. Um, I've been listening to to a decent amount of it, and um, I heard the Sluters episode and Graham Skipper's episode, and I've been listening to the ones, uh, some of the singular episodes too, and I listened to the ones leading up to mine. I'm just, I think this is great. Man, I thought that we were going to be gushing about how much we love you, but you're <laughs> gushing about us. This is this is nice. This is weird. It feels weird. Yeah, it really does. Are, are we drunk? <laughs> is this happening? <laughs> Matt, uh, Matt, are you drunk? Is that what's happening? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Yeah, I've had uh, I've had a few. I get I got started early today. <laughs> no, because he I knew he was going to be on the podcast. He was like, oh, "Yeah, get through this some way, somehow." <laughs> Why have I agreed to this? Oh God, what's wrong with me? All right, <laughs> that's right. No, I, I really have been enjoying the show, and I I think uh, watching a movie every day is tough. I mean, making the time to watch a movie every day and then do a podcast on it is even harder. So. I commend you, and I think the analyses have been really entertaining and fun. Well, thank you so much. That that warms our hearts a lot. Um, we we think that watching sixty movies in a row has been pure lunacy. <laughs> also, kind of awesome. It's been fun. I mean, for sure. But yeah, it's definitely been a lot more than I expected in terms of just like sheer willpower trying to get through everything. <laughs> <laughs> Especially because, and I think that Eric's mentioned this uh, on an episode or two before, he didn't realize that he was signing up for a daily podcast. Yeah, that's true. I thought this was going to be a weekly. I thought we were basically just going to be doing the analysis episodes. And then like before we get started, after we'd already started watching some of the movies, it was like, hey, you know what we should do? What would be a great idea? Yeah. Daily episodes. Cool. <laughs> yeah. Why yeah. Yeah, no, it sounds I'm like glad. a great idea. It doesn't sound <laughs> it doesn't sound mind numbing or exhausting or anything at all. Because <laughs> we don't have you know like work or families or social lives. Oh wait, we don't have social right. lives. That's true. Well, originally right. we were supposed we were going to be limiting our uh, review episodes to fifteen minutes, and then that just <laughs> flew out the window. Right. Yeah. See, that's the thing is like if you had nothing else to do, this would be a piece of cake, really. Because yeah. who doesn't want to watch movie a, a new movie every day and talk about it and have right. fun? But you guys have lives. We all have lives and <laughs> uh, and you have families. And that's just, you know, squeezing that in every day, I'm sure, has been uh, uh, tough. But it's also been a real blast to listen to. So and, uh, that, and it sounds like that, you've made some discoveries, too. Yeah. yeah, yeah. There, there have been a lot of movies that, like, we've been really embarrassed to say that we haven't seen before, because yeah. you know, we love horror <laughs> movies, and then like right. classic things like Halloween. Eric, uh, I'm sorry. I'm still. I it, even <laughs> even now that I've seen it, I'm still ashamed that I, it took me this long to and watch the fog, Halloween. Eric, the fog's fine. <laughs> I'm not as ashamed of the fog, but <laughs> Halloween definitely was like probably the biggest blind spot of any movie. Like any movie that I haven't seen, that would be that would have been the biggest blind spot. Right. So right. glad that Which, I finally got my, to discover that. Halloween is my favorite horror movie of all time, for sure. Maybe my favorite movie. I mean, it's definitely my top five of all time. 
all movies, and um, I'm glad you finally got to see it. I'm not going to shame you. <laughs> I appreciate that. Because, <laughs> you, <know, laughs> you know, I've got – we all have our our blind spots and our, our voids, and I certainly have some. Um, <laughs> so I will, I, I will never – I used to <laughs> – I think I used to be like, oh, my God, you've never seen that? Oh. And now it's like, no, you know, everyone has their blind spots. Yeah. Yeah, right. Exactly. Exactly. It's fun to poke at Eric, like, just a little bit. But, yeah, like, we're the exact same way of just like, oh, my God, you've not seen this. You are going to love it. Like, we get excited. Um, Yeah, yeah. Well, that that was part of my goal coming into – sorry, I cut you off. Oh, no, no, no. You, You are the guest. Uh, well, whatever. Um, I was just going to say, you guys, um, it's fun seeing new movies and you guys, uh, but, but you guys, part of the reason I was excited to do this and chose the, the fear I did was because you guys have been, like been put through the mill on this show <laughs> with a few, with a few of these weeks, like, uh, Graham Skipper's week, my God, yeah. I mean, that ha- that's a heavy set of movies to watch minus maybe in the mouth of madness. And I was like, uh, we gotta have, we got I gotta give them a reprieve. <laughs> give them some fun. Not that those movies are bad. They're not bad movies, but they are, you know, they're heavy. They are a sit. They I are think heavy. The, I think that and his week was probably the hardest one, because, even more so than my own fear. I think because it was just, God, it was especially like yeah. Antichrist and Kill List yeah. right in a row, or like God. Yeah, I still, and this is purely because it's just my own fear. I still think that my fear week was the hardest week for me because it had um, a quiet place and we need to talk about Kevin and oh, Joshua. I yeah, that's right. I didn't even and, watch We Didn't Talk About Kevin again. Yeah. So my week was just like, here, this is why you are going to just royally screw up as a father <laughs> and either <laughs> kill your kid or end up raising a murderer. And well, and then too, my uh, my fear really hasn't ended because literally every single week there have been movies <laughs> involving kids dying. Yep. So, In, including at least two of your movies, yes. Matt. Yeah. I, which, like, that seems. I feel like that's always discussed as a taboo thing, like kids and ant pets, like dogs dying in films. But uh, it it's hap- it happens a lot more than I thought. Just listening to the. Some some of these, uh, it's like, oh yeah, I guess a lot of kids. Die <laughs> yeah, that's exactly movies. that's exactly what I've yeah. been thinking because I had such a hard time finding movies. Like I I spent a long time trying to pick out movies that really kind of capitalized on that fear. But then throughout the weeks, I've like I've been like, man, almost all of these movies have some element of that. And maybe yeah, like you said, it's not as taboo as I was thinking. Yeah. I, so uh, yeah. the ones that we're going to talk about tonight, three of the movies have a dead kid: Piranha, The Blob, and Jaws all have a kid That's being right. eaten. Yeah. Yeah, they all have kids being eaten. They all eaten. show kids <laughs> being eaten too. It's not just like it's not like oh we're going to show it off screen and just you know tell you that the kid has died. No, like you see these these children dying in yeah. these movies. Very very bloodily. Spoilers by the yeah, way. Yeah, very Yeah, spoilers ahead. <laughs> very, yeah, very graphically in particular the one that um the one that's so graphic is in and I, of course, I love the movie, but the blob that yeah. in oh, God. Chuck Russell's The Blob, that kid's death is brutal. <laughs> I mean, just the the when he resurfaced, we'll get to it. We'll get to it. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. I, I think that that might have been like the most disturbing kill in the movie. But but yeah, we'll, we'll get there in a second. Um, yeah. So so a few things before we start diving into some stuff. 
the first thing, since we were talking just a little bit ago about like, oh no, here are some blind spots in our horror movie watchings. Um, mm-hmm. After we finish up this episode, not like immediately after, but the uh, the next couple of episodes are going to be our coverage from Knoxville Horror Film Fest. And uh, I, I have a special place in my heart for Knox Horror Fest, and I'll explain that in a second. But after that, the uh, the final week, closing out our 60 Days of Halloween, is going to be Fear of Being a Bad Movie Geek week, where <laughs> Eric and I have picked movies, like iconic horror movies that we have never seen. And just like, yeah, I've never seen this, but I can still talk about horror, right? Right? <laughs> <laughs> that's great i can't wait for that it, it it'll be it'll be something I, yeah I no that's that, awesome that's that's great i think that's going to be that's going to be uh eye-opening for you and everyone and i can't <laughs> wait to listen to that well and i think that that might actually be the theme that i try to go with for next year of just like whatever guest it's going to be a week of movies that they've never seen like a week of horror movies that they've not seen before because wow, that's a great idea that's that a great idea fun yeah, that's a great idea because it'll it'll sort of yeah force you into watching th- the things that you haven't seen that are considered classics or or uh, must sees. I'd be I'd be down to join on one of those because I think there's probably I could definitely come up with at least five that I haven't seen. Well, if you follow, good. I've got in. you booked for next year then. Great, <laughs> great, I'm in. <laughs> so Excellent. Uh, thing number two. Didn't say this at the very beginning, but tonight's episode is episode 49 in 60 Days of Halloween, which is, again, like kind of insane. We're almost down to the final 10 days. It's yeah, it's insane. Um, Bittersweet. Yeah, I'm like I'm I am legit sad, but also super relieved. It's like, oh, thank God I can hold the rest of the movies that I'm watching for the week in my hand. (laughs) This the end is in sight. It's almost there. Then we can start diving into Christmas movies. Um, but for anyone who's listening, we are recording this episode ahead of time. Um, this one isn't coming out until Friday, but we're recording it before Friday so that we can continue to have daily episodes coming out while Eric and I are watching horror movies in Knoxville. Which brings me to why I love the Knoxville Horror Film Fest. So, so many reasons. Amazing horror movies, amazing lineup. Uh, William and the rest of the people that put it on are just the nicest people ever. Um, but the first year that I went to the Knoxville Horror Film Fest is when Feeding Time was playing and Matt, you were there introducing it and I was like, holy shit, this is awesome. (laughs) And that's where like my bro crush started on you. So you have (laughs) William to thank for that. Oh, well, I appreciate that. William is, is awesome. And, and I'm so glad that that's, that's how that worked out. I think that was the um, and I have a bro crush on you, so this is a two-way street. Dawes. And uh, I think that was the premiere of Feeding Time, actually. In fact, I'm certain. Um, William was the first – William uh, Knoxville was the first festival to accept it. Oh, cool. And so it holds a special place in my heart, too, because uh, uh, that's where the Feeding Time run began. And William is just awesome. And I'm really excited. I, I'm not going to be able to go this year, but I'm really Ooh. excited to get back there. I know. Um, because I want to see the new space that they have because they're in a new theater that they completely renovated, I think. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I've I've not been up since they finished it, but I was there when it was getting close and it's a small theater, but like it's, it's great. I I absolutely love it. I cannot wait to go and just have my eyes bleed from horror movies. this weekend. (laughs) 
Yeah. Yeah. Oh, same. I can't, I can't wait to, to visit and I'll hopefully be able to go next year. Um, but that, that festival is definitely holds a special place in my heart too. And, uh, and Williams got good taste. Like the program was really good the year feeding time played. Like I just stayed in the theater all day and just watched everything. Yeah. And, uh, and also I thought they showed, uh, feeding time played before the, so that was, yeah, feeding times world premiere. And it played before, uh, the remastered phantasm that bad robot put together. Oh yeah. And I was like, Oh my God, this is crazy. We get to play before phantasm. So it was like, and I'd never seen, I mean, that remaster is incredible. So that was really, that was just fucking cool. So I have William to thank for that and we'll be forever grateful to him for that. <laughs> he is an <laughs> awesome dude. Uh, yeah. speaking of like world premieres and movies going around, <laughs> Hey, tell us what, like why you've been traveling the world and doing stuff. Well, I uh, directed a feature film, co-directed it with my buddy Mike Teston, called Dementia Part Two. And yeah, and we've been um, we've been going around with that, and it's been a, a blast and a an unexpected blast because we um, you know we made it toward the end of last year as sort of a a bet. There's a film festival in Chicago called Cinepocalypse, and the guy who runs it, Josh Goldblum. Uh, he challenged Mike and I to make a, uh, a feature film to fill an empty slot for his festival, but we couldn't start start making it, start writing it even, until he announced the schedule of the festival, which is about five weeks before the actual festival. <laughs> so we wrote, wow. uh, I know I've talked about this before, uh, but we, we wrote it in three days, prepped for probably less than a week, and then shot it for five days in a nutshell and then and then cut it together really fast and showed it there and then after that slightly retooled some things we got a real score on it got a um added about two more minutes of runtime just to fill in some gaps and uh and have, we've been taking it on the festival circuit and it's been it's just been I don't, I'm not trying to put down the movie. I'm very proud of the movie considering how we made it <laughs> and all that. And, and even not considering how we made it. I like the movie, but, um, but I'm, I've been really surprised how well it's doing on the festival circuit. Like we just went to Sitges with it, which is a huge deal. Cause that's like the biggest genre festival in the world. And, um, <clears throat> we played uh, Sitges, Fright Fest UK. We just played Scream, excuse me, <clears throat> Scream Fest, uh, two nights ago to a nearly packed house and, it's been a really fun time and uh and yeah it was just a, it's probably the most fun i've had making a movie cuz we just did we th we just threw into the movie anything we thought was funny uh, and made it like a Roger Corman movie from the mid 60s you know make it in 5 days throw it together and see what you got and we came out with something i think that's pretty funny and nothing like the first dementia which mike directed on his own which is a dramatic psychological thriller and this is like a this is like a total horror comedy midnight movie so <laughs> It was fun I, just flying in the face of that movie. <laughs> I absolutely. First off, I just absolutely love the movie. Um, but like, I, I love the fact that uh, the fact that you were having fun making it, I think, shines through. You know, like some people, you watch their movies and it's just like, okay, they were doing this to be an artiste or they were doing this just to try to make money or like you watch it and you're like, ah, I don't think they actually had fun making it. You watch Dementia Part 2 and some scenes I don't know how you kept from laughing. Like, I, I don't know how you we have did. usable <laughs> takes at all on some well, of we, those scenes. 
We didn't. I couldn't get through takes, especially, you know, it's a lot of the movie is me and uh, the lead actress, Suzanne Voss, who plays this woman with uh, what seems like oncoming dementia that's already affecting her. And as the movie goes on, you discover it's something different and much worse than than that. (laughs) Thus, the title is entirely misleading. Uh, But not really, because it's part two, see? Part two of dementia. Exactly. (laughs) The first part affects the brain. The second part affects the squishiness. That's right. It get things get squishy, but um, we'd be doing a scene, and I I couldn't get through. I mean, you can see it in the movie. There's, I mean, when she's uh, when she puts the she's there's she puts her dead husband's toupee on my head in one scene, <laughs> and I couldn't. And then she starts caressing my face, and none of us. There was no time to rehearse. We were just shooting constantly, and so I didn't. Neither of us, me or Suzanne or Graham or Najara, knew what to expect from each other. We just did what we felt felt was natural and funny and fun and fun, and helped the story. So when she puts that toupee on my head, I didn't expect her to start caressing my face. <laughs> if you see the movie and watch that scene, it is you can see it on my face. It's taking everything in my psyche not to crap. <laughs> and and there's other scenes too where Mike the camera work is gets very shaky in some, or the camera starts bouncing. The frame is kind of bouncing up and down. That's because Mike was laughing <laughs> while, hold, while holding the camera. He couldn't hold the camera steady. So we were just doing what we thought was fun. Um, and what we thought cracked, <laughs> cracked ourselves up, whether or not it cracks other people up is another question, but we had a good time. <laughs> we had a good time doing it. either way. <laughs> I still well, haven't seen it. I really, uh, I, I really want to see it so bad. Well, just go uh, to a film fest. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Watch just go to a film <laughs> yeah well it'll we're, we're we're close on we're talking to some distributors and stuff so hopefully there will be an opportunity soon so awesome. don't worry about it it's it's, it's some way it will, it will be able to be seen soon i can't wait i did see uh it was, i think it was at the beginning of the month they released the trailer on like entertainment weekly or something i think is where i saw it um, yeah. So yeah. yeah, I I watched that and I was like, this looks amazing. I cannot wait to see it. <laughs> Thanks. That's cool. Yeah, and I love the poster art. Like it, it feels like good classic, like seventies, eighties grindhouse type of uh, artwork, and it's, it's it's amazing. I love it. Yeah. Thank you. Thanks. That was done by um, a buddy of mine, Graham Hart, who's a great artist, and um, he's done specialty posters for a lot of movies like the my he did one for the mind's eye which is a movie i was in that joe biggest directed and i think he did one for joe's other movie almost human as well oh i love but the when i wrote on almost human it's so great yeah i'm sorry to mean interrupt, when, but no 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 it's awesome. fine he, yeah he did um so there's one done by john hodge which i think is the one that is on the box but he but graham did as well and i just knew that the, i i really have always liked graham's style and his artwork and uh i knew that i kind of you know in talking to mike about it we wanted something that kind of felt like an ec comics cover you know yeah so that's the direction we went in and graham (laughs) graham's like why don't we go full fully in that direction he he had the idea of putting those uh uh photos with you know the little circle photos on the side of it with our pictures on it and i was like oh yeah and we could even put the squirrel on <laughs> or like, <laughs> like character. and so that's what we did and it's totally like a tales from the crypt cover you know and um but yeah there was a moment toward the end of 
Graham making it where I was like, is this too much? Does it give away? He's like, no, just do it. Because it's exactly what Roger Corman did with his movies. Like if you go back and look at um, Francis Ford Coppola's first movie, which was directed for Roger Corman, which is uh, oddly enough called Dementia Dementia 13. 13. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) It's the same poster. The photos are on the bottom, but it's this crazy artwork that does not reflect how, you know, it, it suggests the movie goes way bigger than it actually does or it has something that it doesn't quite have you know yeah and i i like that idea so um i mean i not to say dementia 2 doesn't go big it goes absurdly big in its comedy and grossness but uh <laughs> but not quite what you see in the you know you're selling that in the poster and i think that's pretty fun <laughs> you're selling lies is what you're selling and i love it yeah, uh, I'm just a liar. We're all liars. I, that's what a movie is, really. <laughs> exactly. It's just a two-hour yeah. lie. That's right. Right. Except for trimmers. Then it's just an hour and a half of perfection. Um, so, uh, <laughs> speaking of movies, uh, all right, so the movies that, that we're going to talk about tonight, uh, the first one on your list was The Thing, but since we just talked about that last week, instead, Eric and I watched one of your um your honorable mentions with Anaconda. So the thing, Anaconda, uh, Joe Dante's Piranha, uh, Romero's Day of the Dead, Tremors, The Blob from 88, and Jaws. Um, and and your fear, because I actually don't think that we've said that on this episode, your fear of being eaten alive, which <laughs> is silly, but there's also a lot of things to talk about. But why did you pick that fear? Like, why did you want to go with fear of being eaten alive? Well, as you know, I had a, I was having a hard time picking one and, uh, and everyone had picked everyone. I, I was listening to the other podcast and everyone had picked such, uh, psychologically innovative fears <laughs> and things that you can really dig into. Um, but the first, I'll tell you the honest truth. The first reason is you, like I said before, I wanted to give you guys a reprieve because Graham Skipper and the Sluters <laughs> and everybody's put you through the damn mill. God, I mean, that you had some rough weeks in there with some heavy watches back to back. And I was like, well, I want to go with something. Um, I, I, well, there was that. And also, I just wanted to, to talk about some fun movies. Right. And um, I think you can go kind of two routes with a fear. You can go with something very psychological. And I have a very similar, like Graham, I'm totally afraid of losing my mind because that'd be terrifying. Um, not knowing who you are and what you're doing. Um, but, uh, you know, I was racking my brain with all these different fears and I was like, well, yeah, I, I'm going to go the other direction and go with something very visceral and primal that I am truly afraid of. Um, and the first thought I had was when we did the podcast at CFF this year and I said spiders <laughs> and I was like, oh, I don't, that's so stupid. I don't want to talk about just, that's so specific and I don't want to do just spiders. Um, because I felt so dumb. It was so like Graham was like fear of losing my mind, and then I was like uh, spiders. <laughs> yeah, so I, I, but, but I decided, like, uh, spiders are more common than losing your mind. So right, <laughs> yeah. So anyway, I went. Um, I decided. Well, I I am afraid of being eaten alive, and there's many. What attracted me to the idea. <laughs> Maybe I'm just a sick individual, but what attracted <laughs> me to the idea of talking about this fear is that there's many different – you can take that in a lot of different ways. Like you had said earlier in the week to me uh, over Messenger, I think you'd said consumption is kind of a broader term, broader way to look at it. I still didn't really go with a 
a more nebulous approach like that. I went with pretty primal, right. you know, things actually eating you. But I, I, there's a lot of different ways, even on a primal level, to get eaten, and I'm terrified of all of them. <laughs> <laughs> so, because there's, you know, uh, there's all kinds of different ways to bite the dust getting eaten. Uh, and that's, that's, that's why I chose it. And I also just was able to think of a lot of movies I liked, like creature films and things like that, that involved being eaten alive. So it was kind of all of those things that went into me choosing it. And it was like a bolt of lightning. As soon as I thought eating, eaten alive, I was like, that's it. And I immediately sent you a text and said, I want to do this. <laughs> well, I am super glad that you did because yeah, all of these movies, uh, maybe not Anaconda, but all of these movies are <laughs> awesome and I absolutely love them. Anaconda is awesome in its own way. Anaconda <laughs> is okay in its own way. But um, yeah, like Eric and I have said a few times throughout the week that this entire week has felt like a palate cleanser for the last two months. So yes, oh, excellent God. choices. Yes, we really appreciate it. It was it was yeah. much needed. <laughs> much yeah, needed reprieve. Yeah. yeah, you still can't get away from kids dying but you know. <laughs> i know well it's all right at least it wasn't wasn't it wasn't the focus of the movies at least for the most part right one right, thing i thought right. that was kind of interesting is whenever I, I first heard that we were going to be doing fear of eating alive is for some reason my mind immediately went to like cannibalism and i thought it was interesting that none of the none of the main choices some of the honorable mentions were but none of the main choices involved actual like people eating people i mean you can kind of say with day of the dead but zombies aren't really people zombies are people <laughs> zombies yeah. are people too. zombie a- lives matter <laughs> oh. i'm sorry i'm sorry <laughs> i just love man matt i wish that it. you were here because the instant <laughs> look of regret on his face as soon as he said that was priceless <laughs> <laughs> i wish i just, wish i could have seen just it where, where my send mind me goes. a photo <laughs> Um, but yeah, yeah no, I was I, just thinking like, for me, I feel like it would be like, I can't decide which is more terrifying being eaten by like some kind of disgusting creature and then being digested or like slowly more methodically being like picked apart by somebody like Hannibal Lecter or something, just like eating your brain while you're still alive or something. You know what I mean? Like I was, I was, I was just thinking about this earlier today. I was like, man, I wonder which one would be worse. Well, Hannibal was one of yeah. the honorable mentions. Um, it was, yes. And, you know, that whole scene with Ray Liotta, he's just trying to have a decent dinner conversation. You know, picking his brain a little bit. hey <laughs> Picking his brain. <laughs> yeah, that's such a disturbing, that's such a disturbing scene. Um, and, yeah, I, I, I thought about that and I, I, I was kind of mulling over Cannibal movies in particular. I had Hannibal and uh, Cannibal, Cannibal Holocaust, Holocaust on my... Right? Yeah, on my honorable mentions, and and I, I went. Yeah, I guess I went with uh, you know Day of the Dead in my top five, my in, in my main choices because it's sort of both. It's like something else, but also a human eating you and eating you alive, like right there. And I, yeah, it's it was a tough choice, um, but uh, I couldn't. I just didn't. I think my my ultimate criteria with some of these, I didn't even necessarily choose. Well, Day of the Dead is a good example. I don't. Day of the Dead is not my favorite Romero zombie movie, but I feel like it's got the best visceral eating and attacks and attacks in it, and the best makeup. Yeah. So that kind of had made that one gave that one a leg up for me, but 
and I just couldn't. I, Hannibal, there are some good things about Hannibal. You have people eating people, and you have a horrifying pig eating a pigs eating a person scene. <laughs> um, and then Cannibal Holocaust is just it is what it is. It's <laughs> probably honestly, it's probably the first found footage movie ever made. So it gives mm-hmm. it this verite that's uh, really horrifying and. Ugh, that's a really gross, unnerving movie. But I just I've never seen I didn't it. But I do Ugh. know like the backstory behind like the wasn't there like a trial or something because they thought the actors were actually dead, like yeah. actually murdered, and they had to like show up at the or I don't I don't remember if it was a trial or if it was just some sort of legal proceeding or something. But they actually had to prove that the actors were still alive. <laughs> that's right. Yeah, the director had to show up and and display how he created a couple of the effects in the movie. Um, I mean, this is what I've read. I, it could be total lore, but I think that's true. I think he, the movie, you know, it was a, it was one of the video nasties in the UK and, mm, um, yeah. the director had to, yeah, Diodato had to show up and, and supposedly prove in court. I, you're right. I don't know if it was an actual trial or just a proceeding or a hearing, but he had to show up and, uh, show how he did. I think it was the, there's a scene where a woman is, um, skewered on a pole uh out in one end and out the other (laughs) he had to show how he did that which i think he just had her sitting on a a bicycle seat and then she held the other end of the pole in her mouth or something but that's yeah they had to that's true see the true is very good marketing yes (laughs) right (laughs) either way it gets people uh fascinated by it mm -hmm, mm-hmm mm-hmm yeah, I, I I love the fact that um, and we'll start like actually talking about the movies in a second. But I love the fact that you did go with something just so primal and watching them was like, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's just going to be fun. But then I couldn't stop thinking about how like, oh, yeah, fear of being eaten alive, especially a month and a half in, <clears throat> like really could be representative of letting this other thing consume your life and uh yeah so i i, like I love the fact right. exactly <laughs> so i I'm love sorry. the fact that even though it wasn't your intention <laughs> that that still came up was like oh oh yay more things i find it funny that we keep seeing the podcast in all these fears <laughs> losing your mind while doing the podcast for you know 60 years yeah. in a row and having the podcast consume you and <laughs> fear of being right. a bad father spending all of my time <laughs> podcasting <laughs> it's literally become part of your DNA. It's just the podcast. <laughs> Next yeah. year, this the fear is just going to be fear of the podcast. <laughs> <laughs> right. right. Just, just going to be 30 minutes of silence each week. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right. Let's start diving into these movies. Uh, and, and again, there's going to be spoilers abound. So like, don't worry about having to say spoiler each time. Uh, but let's start with a thing. I Even though we didn't watch it for this week, we had very recently watched it. It was one of your top five for the week, and I mean, Eric and I always love talking about it, and Eric wasn't able to be there for the initial uh, review that I did last week, so this gives him another chance to to talk more. Thank oh, you, man. goodness. I'm always, I'm always down to talk about the thing. I love this movie so much. It, it is like the best movie. So why'd you pick the thing? Yeah, well, I... Um when I was trying to come up with the list, like I said, I was trying to come up with as many different forms of, (laughs) of, uh, eating and digestion and ingestion that I possibly could. And, um, the thing kind of made the top of my list because, um, I know you guys talked about it already, so we don't have to spend a lot of time on it, but I think it's a unique movie in that 
like you were saying, it it's a perfect incorporation of actual being ingested, getting eaten, but also there's a psychological element in that the movie's about paranoia. And when you get ingested, this creature, whatever it is, it becomes you. So the fear is like twofold. It's not just that you're getting ingested. There's going to be, you know, as that's happening to you, you also know if this were to happen to you, that there's going to be this duplicate of you walking around and you are finished and something else is taking your place and you have no, you have, you have absolutely no control over it, you know? Well, and one thing so, I found, uh, oh, I'm sorry, go ahead. Yeah. No, no, go ahead, go ahead. I was just going to say, one thing I find kind of interesting about it too is it's like you never really, you'd never really know if the thing is just eating people or if it's, because it shows you on the little slide or whatever that the cells are literally just absorbing, the thing cells are absorbing the human cells. So in a way, it right. kind of makes you wonder like if, there's any bit of hum- that person's humanity left in there, like kind of hidden deep down or something like if that person still kind of exists within the thing or if they just die and are eaten because, or if they just die because they were eaten, it's something that I've kind of thought about, like, is there any shred of that person left? Yeah. And like, yeah. uh, Matt, you even, I think texted me this, um, when you first sent me the list where the thing was so great because it's eating you from the inside, which like, yeah, that makes sense, but I also had never really thought of the thing that way, mm-hmm. like just eating you up from the inside. And yeah, um, you know, I, I wonder that about Wilford Brimley, especially. And I know that we talked about that before of was he still Wilford or had he become the thing when he was smashing up all of the equipment? Right. Yeah. I mean, I think that's I think that's what make that's one of the things that makes this movie so scary is this, um, you know, Well, like you just said, Carpenter's always talked about it as he made a couple of movies about, you know, prior to that, he made a couple of horror movies, Halloween and the Fog, which are about an an external force uh, coming to get you, an evil from the outside coming to get you. And this movie is about something inside you. It's about what's dark, the darkness inside. Um, Well, it's honestly, it's really both. It's external, then internal. And I think... uh, Supposedly, what you were saying, Eric, about the 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 supposedly the cast talked a lot when they were shooting the movie about, well, what is this thing really doing to you, and do you still have a consciousness about yourself, or is it entirely something new, or are you entirely something new? Does the alien, on a cellular level, have some sort of hive mind or collective conscience about what it's trying to do, which is merely survive and uh, stake a claim on a new planet. Mm -hmm. And I think that's, you know, the thing that's really, you know, we're talking about getting eaten alive here, but any, any fear can really be distilled into uh, a fear of death and the unknown. (laughs) And I know Uh, you talked about fear of death. You had (laughs) with these carpenter moon, isn't that type of thing was part of that last week but um um i think that fear that the characters have in the movie of of that unknown like you don't know what's really happening to you is part of the the scary thing about this particular ingestion you know because that's really all fears boil down to i think all fear boils down to not knowing what's next because that all we're trying to figure out in life is we're trying to control life and categorize it 
I think that's why people categorize everything, not to get super philosophical, but it's because we are, are terrified of, of the unknown and death is the ultimate unknown. Right. And that was actually uh, whenever I was coming up with a list of all of my of different fears that I'd consider for the podcast, fear of the unknown was actually like pretty close to the top of the list. So it was one yeah. that I actually considered. Yeah. But like, like Matt just said, all of them are unknown. Right, yeah, that's why, like, when as I was doing it, I was like, that's a little too broad, because, I mean, yeah, it, basically any fear can be distilled down to that. Yeah, because um, if you knew what was going to happen, you wouldn't be as scared of it. Right, even something as primal as getting eaten alive, it's like, I don't know what that's like, and I don't I don't want to know what that's like. <laughs> it would be, be terrible. But I think the thing in particular, there's a cycle of all these movies in the eaten alive that I, that I chose, it's the one that's simultaneously psychological and physical like it's not just absorbing you for sustenance it's absorbing you to survive and also become you and, mm-hmm. and then you know puts fear into other people not knowing if you're the thing or not yeah and uh, a little bit ago when you said first it's external then it's internal i would actually flip it and say first it's an internal fear of not knowing like how that monster or, is going yeah. to arise yeah and then it's external because right. then once the monster is there, then you have to run from the monster. And I, I can't remember if we've talked about this before or not. Honestly, some of the things that we've said are starting to run together. Yeah. But like sometimes when I watch the thing, I think of addiction in terms of like it only takes just a little tiny bit to turn this person potentially into this monster. And then that monster, all that it wants to do is like, you know, consume other people. And I I don't think that Carpenter was, you know, doing some big allegory for addiction or, you know, drug abuse or anything like that. But I I also think that it's there. Yeah, I think the metaphor works for sure. Sure. Yeah. I think there's a metaphor metaphor for at that time AIDS was just coming around and there's a metaphor for that, the paranoia of that. I mean, it's so funny that as time goes on this, I know this movie has become a classic and people hold it in high regard now, but it's, it's so strange that it was so derided at the time because there is nothing like it. Like the way this movie explores its theme and its creature and, and death is just, there's no movie like it. It's, it's incredible. It's an incredible achievement. And it's, it's great that it's now regarded highly because I know everybody as Carpenter has said in tons of interviews, if you go back and look at reviews of this movie when it came out, it was so hated. It was just too much, I think, for people at the time, and it supposedly came out at the same time as E.T., so... Yeah, I think they were, I think they were <laughs> released, nice like, about it, a week you know. apart or something. Yeah, right. So I, it's great that it's regarded highly now because I think, you know, even though I chose it because of its primal aspects of being ingested i think it goes so much further in in so many directions and asks a lot of philosophical questions while still being a great visceral movie yeah Uh, and because like you were saying it's like the characters are the characters are thinking about well what happens when i become that thing or how do we know that you're not one of them and what is the difference like are you you know you think about charles hallahan's character in the movie um i can't remember his character's name but he's the one who has the heart attack and then his chest opens up and bites off Dysart's arms, his chest, <laughs> but he's behaving before that happens. He's behaving pretty much like himself. Yeah. And so you got to think, well, this thing has enough of a conscience in its cellular structure to cause a heart attack. 
so that it can get somebody else. Well, and then so, Kurt you know, Russell like just shoots that dude. So uh, yeah, like he murders someone in cold blood, and like that's right. the hero, the yeah. person that yeah. you're rooting for, just straight up shoots somebody because he doesn't trust him. It's very interesting because <laughs> the thing itself is <clears throat> motivated by self-preservation, and then so are the characters. So like even for the characters who aren't literally consumed by the thing, even even if you're not literally consumed by the thing, you are still kind of consumed by the thing because yeah. you end up taking on its characteristics either way just out of right. preservation yeah, yeah I, it's a total it's a total you know mind screw of a movie because <laughs> I mean, <laughs> it, it, it's you can even get to the point where you're like well yeah the characters are doing the same thing as the thing and as terrifying as it is like i mean oh god it's just a conundrum it's a philosophical you know, there's, you could go so many direct thematic directions in thinking about it. And on top of that, it's just a great horror movie. I mean, it looks great. Dean Cundy's cinematography is beautiful. I love the blue. So beautiful. Yeah. I, I watched yeah. it in Blu-ray and I don't, Ugh. I don't know if I'd watched the, the Blu-ray of it before, even though I've had it for years and like it, it is gorgeous. I was like, Oh my God, this movie is so beautiful. And it makes me really sad that people didn't like it when it first came out because it is my favorite John Carpenter movie. Yes, even more than Halloween. And it is one of my, like definitely one of my top 10 movies, Mm -hmm. hands down. If I like sat down to actually start listing things out, maybe I might like through analysis put it a little bit lower. But just if someone said, hey, what's one of your top 10 movies? The Thing is always one of the first ones that I think. Yeah, me too. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's... I think on an objective level, um, yeah, on an objective level, it's Carpenter's best film for sure. Yeah. Um, I just, you know, the, I think it's still my, I think Halloween is still my favorite just because it's one of my favorite movies and it was kind of one of my gateway horror movies. Sure. And I just, I just absolutely love it for personal and objective reasons, filmmaking reasons. Like it's a, it's a melting pot of things, but I think, um, the thing is objectively Carpenter's best movie. I think it looks it looks the best. It has some of the best performances, and it, it explores primal and visceral and psychological and philosophical ideas that none of his other movies do. It's so well balanced and just gorgeous to look at. Yeah. So speaking of being consumed and amazing performances, let's talk about John Voight and Anaconda. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, this was on my honorable mentions list. <laughs> and I love that because of the thing, it eked its way in so you could watch something new. Um, <clears throat> like I said about the thing, we have to a lot of, of access. Well, ease of access was also a deciding factor. Like, all right, which of these do I already have? Yeah. Anaconda, great. We're going with that. <laughs> right, right, right. Uh, it's a. I, I, I think I actually uh, I listened to the, y- y'all's commentary on it. I actually think it's a pretty great B movie, and John Voight <laughs> uh, is, is like you guys were saying. He's the reason. I think he elevates it a lot. He's one of the reasons that it's so good because his performance is so crazy. Like he just literally goes for it. And it's, but what? <laughs> I, love I still it so don't understand much. what it is that he was going for. I really just wish I want like, you know how they made that documentary about uh, Jim Carrey and how he got into the role for uh, man on the moon of uh yeah. Andy Kaufman. Uh, Andy Kaufman. I almost said Philip Kaufman. That's definitely not who it is. No. Um, Andy Kaufman. <laughs> like, I want to see a documentary about John Voight getting into character for this movie. 
Like, I want to yeah. know, like, what, did he do any kind of research? Did he, like, speak with <laughs> people in some sort of, like, Amazonian or, like, South African area or something and try to pick up on their accent? Like, I don't understand where the accent comes from. I don't understand anything about anything, if, but I love it so much. If there was a cartoon version of, like, like an anthropomorphized cartoon version of cocaine, <laughs> that is what he was watching leading up to it. Uh. <laughs> That's exactly right. I'd say, I, I guess his, his answer would be somewhere in that realm. I mean, I yeah, I don't, I, I, I'd be curious to find out what his process was on it. Um, and I wonder if there's a, a commentary or an interview with him about it, but it, I just love that, yeah, the accent is, uh, like, <laughs> I don't know what it is either. I don't know if he's if he's got a particular region in mind with that accent or what he's doing, but he definitely goes for broke. I mean, it's a he is a great villain in the movie. <laughs> um, he's so entertaining to watch, and you and very unpredictable. You, it's very uncomfortable watching him, mm. um, for, partially because it's a great performance, and partially because it's <laughs> offensive in some ways. <laughs> The part um, that was most unexpected for me was when he's tied up and like does the Spider-Man jump to choke the woman so (laughs) high up in the air from a seated position. Yeah, it's awesome. Tied to a pole. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. I mean, I love that. I just love. (laughs) I think it's great. I love shit like that, and I just love. He's always like, he's always threatening, and he's always got knowledge. He's always got got uh an answer for things that's i mean he's just it's just great and um i think the movie i mean that's one of the things i like about the movie on the whole is his performance is reflective of the movie which just it it, it, i think he probably read the script and got there and said because he he had such a great career all the way up to the the 80s and then you know he his things waned a little for him. And I think he was like, Oh, this is, I've got to embrace this and just go for <laughs> it and, sh- and re- remind people that I am here and I, I exist. And I think he probably read the script and went, I see what this is. I know what kind of movie is getting made. He probably met with the director, Luis Losa. And he said, I'm doing it. I'm going to, yeah, this is what this is. And I'm going to support that kind of storytelling. And it totally fits the movie. The movie's balls to the wall absurdity it's one of those things too where you feel like louise losa probably was just like you know what john you you know what you're doing you just you do your thing like he i feel like there probably wasn't a whole lot of direction on his end he's like john you just do you and i will accept you for who you are i don't think that john voight was hired for the movie i think that he was just like actually down there hunting snakes (laughs) showed up and was just like i'm on your movie now deal with it Exactly. See? See? <laughs> exactly See? how Saron so... would do and does in the movie itself. <laughs> yes. But that's see, that's exactly what I'm saying. Like within the world of the movie, there's an authenticity to that performance. Like it's just it's just fantastic. And the movie itself just you know goes goes for it with I mean the there's so many um you know, you guys were talking in the episode about it, about how it, it really skirts the edge of an R, even though it's a PG thirteen. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It really pushes the envelope and there's some cringe inducing stuff. The tracheotomy, that giant hornet in Eric Stoltz's throat. Oh yeah. Man. I mean he's kind of got the the Janet Lee psycho role here. You think he's gonna be like the one of the leads and kind of the the, the main dude and then he he's just down for the count the whole movie well it's smart to take him out early too because he was like the uh the guide i guess right well he was like the main guy yeah 
Yeah, well, he was yeah, the one who knew like where everything was and was like telling people where to go or whatever. So they take him out, and then that's when Sarone's like, "Okay, now I'm running the show." Yeah, I right. honest to God, at one point forgot that Eric Stoltz was in the movie. Like while I was watching yeah. it, I forgot. And then like, he just oh, shows up again right. at the end. Like, oh yeah, he's still there. So here's yeah. here's my thing with Anaconda. It's not that I necessarily think that it's a bad movie, even though I do. <laughs> it's. <laughs> It, it, it is a very weird in-between where, like, I feel like with the A-list actors that it had or, like, A-minus actors that it had, that it was trying to go serious rather than having too much fun with it. But mm. it was too silly to be too serious of a movie, especially with some things like after Owen Wilson gets eaten and you see his, like, screaming face still inside of the anaconda. <laughs> like, there are glimpses of we know that we're making a B-movie. And there were some yeah. things like uh, I talked about this in the review. There are some things that remind me of Creature from the Black Lagoon, and I love it for that. And the parts that are ridiculous are so ridiculous, and they're kind of fun. And but but it was a weird like I think that some people who were making it thought that it was supposed to be like a serious action movie. Yeah. And other people <laughs> thought that it was supposed to be a campy B feature, and others thought that it was supposed to be. I I don't know. Uh, that's actually a, I was actually about comedy to say the between exact. Owen Wilson and uh, <laughs> Ice Cube. Like I was about to say the same thing. Like I don't feel like all the actors knew exactly what kind of movie that they were getting themselves into. And I feel like again, I feel like the Jurassic Park influence on this movie is super strong. Where it's like it feels like it was originally going to be more like a piranha or something. Where it's just totally embracing how silly it is. But then they're like, hey, Jurassic Park is a huge hit. <laughs> Here's like. 10, 10 million dollars or however much probably more than that um yeah, here's like extra some, money hire some a-list actors make this pg-13 so we can get butts and seats and then it kind of just ended up being like a big mashup of the two right yeah it kind of feels like uh maybe the director was going around with the script or the writer and they were expecting yeah something like piranha like a, a low budget shocker and then some producer accidentally added a zero. Yeah. <laughs> and then you got, you got, uh, you know, some, uh, some up and comers and John Voight and some A-listers in there. I mean, some of them, a lot of those actors became A-listers like Jennifer Lopez. But I mean, I think she had done Selena at that point. So none of them, but none of them were, uh, huge stars yet, but they were all true. I didn't really think about that. I, f- I mean, I'm sure. Yeah. Like- Jennifer Lopez was definitely big at the time, and Ice Cube. She was, yeah. Eric Schultz, I guess, too, but. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. But I, you know, I think you're right. I think it's, um, there probably was some dissonance in what the actors thought it, some of the actors thought it was, (laughs) what the director saw it as, which I think he, I think he knew what it was, because it just, it, it feels, despite some of the cutting that you guys were talking about in the episode being, continuity wise a little off i think he had a firm grasp of what it was is my Mm. it wouldn't have turned out that good if he didn't um despite some of the effects and the cutting and all that Uh, well and like here's here's one of the other weird things is the plot i feel like is a solid plot for a serious action adventure movie because anacondas really exist and some of them 
maybe not quite as big as they are in the movie, but like they can get really big and they can eat people in a film crew going down to the Amazon to film natives. Like all of the stuff was there for it to be a serious action horror movie, mm. you know, like it, it didn't, it didn't have an anaconda in a tornado, you know, it didn't have, <laughs> it didn't have genetically mutated piranha in the stream. Like it, it was, this could with some, you know, slight suspension of disbelief, this could happen. Yeah. It is more, a little more grounded than, yeah. And I think that that's part of where some of that disconnect was, you know, like if they had gone just a little bit further with it, like just a little bit crazier and like, Oh, okay. Yeah, cool. They, they know what they're doing. Yeah. Just, yeah. It makes me, I agree. Weird. It makes me right. Yeah. I agree. It makes me wonder if, if maybe the script was before, the, it became a studio film was even crazier or if the idea was to go crazier and then maybe someone tempered it. I mean, who knows? It could have also been more serious. It's hard to tell, but, <laughs> I don't um, know, man. but my There's guess a... is based on what it is, it was probably even crazier before yeah. they probably tempered it a little bit. There, yeah. There's a scene where the camera is literally inside the anaconda's throat as it swallows something. And that's just f-ing awesome. So and that's one that's, of the uh, best scenes yeah. in the movie. I love so. it so much. Yeah. Like if it had I been more of that, <laughs> I know. I appreciate that so much. Like that's so that's what you live for with this kind of and movie. If you're, is <laughs> if you're digesto can of uh, if you're afraid of snakes or if you're afraid of being eaten alive, then even though this movie has some shortcomings, like it would probably be pretty difficult to watch this movie either way because it is uh, it, it those scenes are really hard to digest. Well, <laughs> digest. And the best thing about your word choice there is with the fear of being eaten alive, you see John Voight come back up. So like you oh, see him so mid digestion with and like the the practical effects there looked great. So the last 15 20 minutes of the movie, if it had been that all the way through, I think that I would have felt different about it, but whatever. The practical effects at the end with John Voight and his weird half-digested face missing an eye, winking at J-Lo. So awesome. I I love that. I love that scene so much. Oh, I... Yeah. I think the movie... I mean, that's... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Oh, no, I was just going to say that's like the only scene that I remembered from the first time that I saw it years and years and years ago was half-digested John Voight. (laughs) <laughs> yeah it's definitely this thing that pops out is him getting regurgitated which is all set up in a monologue about what happens when you get killed by an anaconda yeah. by him during the movie which is great because it kind of instills that fear in you of oh god that's going to happen you know <laughs> um but it's great when he's spit up and he winks and he's covered <laughs> in, in disgusting goop and you know that's why i mean i i think one of my criteria on choosing this list was different kinds of being eaten alive yeah because i think they i think being eaten alive can break down into um uh, maybe maybe three things there's like an absorption there's mastication <laughs> chewing and there's um uh just being swallowed whole or suffocation i guess really like you're just taken in and digested and i think that's why i chose anaconda on the it was on the runner-up list I mean, it was competing with Tremors, really, you know, and I Tremors ultimately made the real list because I think it's the better of the two. Um, (laughs) There is no contest (laughs) about that. Right, right. But I chose, uh, you know, Anaconda was uh, was up there because it's it's terrifying 
as silly as the movie is, you know, that that shot you were talking about where you see the cameras inside the snake's gullet or inside his throat and in his mouth. And you see the person coming into the mouth and it's a snake, snake o cam or whatever you call it. <laughs> it's like, it really, right. Yeah. It's really, that's really scary. And I mean, I would imagine getting strangled and then you say, so that your bones are crushed and you can't move. And then you are, you are going to suffocate while being digested inside of a creature. That's just horrifying. Yeah. On a primal level, that's terrifying. So that's why it was sort of on my high up on my runner up list. So I have a question in regards to their like three basic kinds of being eaten alive. Yeah. Does getting your blood sucked out by a vampire count as being eaten alive? I thought about that and I decided no. Because part of you is eaten. Just the blood part. It's true. Just the blood part. And I thought about that and... Yeah, I think that's debatable. I think you could say it is because the blood is being used to, uh, to for sustenance. Um, but I think I wanted to go with like every part of you could be consumed. <laughs> you know, like every single part of you could be consumed and used for uh, sustenance or replication or whatever. You know, sure. so. Uh, um, but I thought about that. I was like, what's a good vampire movie? I thought about Thirty Days of Night or Innocent Blood, where it's really even more innocent blood is a weird one because uh, it's a, this John Landis vampire movie. I don't know if you've seen it, but it's more, there's some eating, not just drinking in that. <laughs> so you could kind of go different directions with that, but yeah, I guess that's debatable. I was thinking, no, I guess it would come yeah. down to whether or not you say, uh, in regards to like a milkshake, if you drink a milkshake yeah. or if you eat an, a milkshake. <laughs> yeah, sure. This is a great analogy. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Yeah. Because this is where the podcast goes on fear of being eaten alive. <laughs> the Our semantics human. of blood milkshake and milkshake. <laughs> blood milkshake sounds like an amazing like uh, metal version of <laughs> like just kids songs. <laughs> nice. I was thinking that you were going to go with like a Halloween promotion at like <laughs> Steak and Shake or something. No, I'm thinking of like. Like Ramstein singing "Happy Birthday," <laughs> <laughs> right? That'd be great. <laughs> so, <clears throat> Piranha. Let's talk about Piranha. Piranha. Because oh my god, I love Piranha. Oh, oh, I just love it. I love it so much. I, I mean, Joe Dante is one of my favorite horror directors ever. So um, great. Just favorite directors. Yeah, I mean, he's he's a great director, not just horror, but genre director yeah. and director general but he piranha is um one of my favorites one of my favorite horror movies i think it's a great eco terror movie and i guess to get you know for starters on the on the primal being eaten alive level i chose this one because i was trying to come up with something to fill a slot in the list where someone is um where, where you die via little bites you're yeah. getting little chunks taken out of you which is really awful i mean you talk about a terrible ways to go. It's probably, I mean, I, who knows? I, I was going to compare it to something else. But <laughs> I, who knows? How could you? I just think, um, you know, it's a, definitely a total 180 from Anaconda or Tremors. It's you're literally just having a bunch of little chunks taken out of you to the point where you either bleed out or you can't move. And then you're just pulled under and eaten by a little fish. And, and on top of that, it's in the water. So yeah. it's not just, 
Because I thought about bug movies like Empire of the Ants or, you know, uh, <laughs> Slugs, which is a great, <laughs> great movie. Oh, I would have B-movie. such a hard time watching Slugs. Oh, <laughs> slugs freak me out. Definitely, uh, you got to see it then. It is disgusting. Um, also, it's a very fears. long... Yeah, you have to face your fears. Um, not to get off on slugs too much, but it's uh, it on that tangent. But it's a very wrong-headed movie. On top, of, it's a fun movie. It's a sure. really fun movie to watch. But um, but in thinking about that, I think Piranha took took precedence over those because it it's also in the water. So you're just you you're contending with something you can't see in murky lake water because the piranha are in a river. And you're so you're and you're also getting pulled under, so you're drowning while these things are taking little bites out of you. So on top of that primal thing, you also have it directed by Joe Dante and written by John Sales, who's a brilliant writer. Um, John Sales has written some of some of the greatest uh, films in modern history. I mean, he's you know Secret of Ronan Ish, Limbo. He's a great filmmaker in his own right. And he always has something to say in his movies. So I think Piranha is not just a great eaten alive movie, but it's also a great eco terror movie. And it has something to say about uh, what happens when gov- the government uh, it meddles in things that they shouldn't, and then ties itself to a to a private company. Yeah, <laughs> I think it's yeah, it's just so many great things all in one. And Joe Dante and John Sayles are really funny, and it's a very funny movie. The humor doesn't undercut the scares or the dread or the gross out or the gore. It's it 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 gives you a laugh and then punches you in the gut with a scare. So that's why I chose Piranha. Yeah, and like of all the ones on the list, I like I, I grew up in Florida and I've always hated the ocean, not because of sharks, but because of things like jellyfish, um, because jellyfish are way more common. Um, but but yeah, like I've never really had a problem with like lakes and streams because eh, maybe there's water moccasins, maybe there's snapping turtles, mm. but yeah, you're fine. Watching piranha is just like oh, maybe I'll stick to swimming pools. Yeah, man, I used to growing up as a kid. I even mentioned this when I tweeted out the link to the episode. Like when I was a kid, because I grew up here in Tennessee, and you know I went swimming in lakes and rivers all the time and I hated it because in a lot of places you can't you will really have fish come up and swim up to you and nibble on you especially like up at, on the Okoe River because they're used to humans and they're used to being fed yeah so they'll literally come up and just kind of like suck on your feet and stuff and so it used to freak me out and piranha like just preys on that fear <laughs> so much because I knew that piranha were not and I remember asking my parents all the time like are you sure piranha can't be in freshwater or like can't be up here where we're at and they're like, no, no, they're in the Amazon or whatever. And I'm like, okay, fine. But I still don't believe you. <laughs> like, there could be piranha in this river and they could eat me. Yep. So, yeah, totally. this movie totally just preys on that fear of, like, I hated getting in the river and stuff because of fish. And, like, anytime a fish touched me, it just freaked me out because I was afraid it was going to eat me. Yeah. Yeah, yeah it preys on that fear of the murky lake or the murky river. And, and I grew again, up not in being exact- able to see it. Exactly. Right. Exactly. Like you can't see what's down there eating you and it's taking little bites out of you. And <laughs> I think you can't the, uh, hear all of their little chirps. Swarming I love at you. the sound effects in this movie, like just the little like buzzing yeah. kind of humming sound of the piranha <laughs> eating people. Like, it's so great. And just that just the first person kind of perspective you get of all the little fish like just gnawing on you and all the blood. I don't know. It's so awesome. 
Oh, it's great. It's yeah. So yeah. It's a really, yeah, totally. It, it's super unnerving. And, um, I also, I love that sound effect too. And <laughs> I, it was, I think, I think some critics criticized those sound effects when the movie first came out and which I think is ridiculous. I'm a huge fan of sound design in a movie that makes no sense, but, but elevates the vibe and the feel of the moment. Yeah. And of course, piranha don't make sounds. <laughs> um, but I love that they gave it a, a sound um, that sounds like a poodle in a blender or something. I don't, know you, I, don't know, I don't know how you describe the sound that they make, but it's well, a very aquatic, reverby sound that's really scary. And um, when you couple it with the Pino Donaggio score and the little sounds of the nips and tears and the chunks coming out and Phil Tippett's great creature work, I mean, I agree with you. I think the, the fish attacks themselves which probably you know largely are just people holding the tail of the fish and putting it into the yeah. frame yeah. with a moving mat. <laughs> so i mean it's, it's the same concept i think as the uh remember the shark on a stick that you could get as a kid there was oh, like yeah. a little snapping jaw i think it's the exact same thing it's just you know <laughs> phil Tippett designed these great these scary fish and um it's it, i mean they it's so effective it's a really well-balanced movie you get these quick quick shots of these little bites and these fish taking chunks and then the people on the surface and the blood just boiling up around them and it's yeah. it's very effective it made me nauseous as a kid when and, i first saw it and the kids dying in yeah. the lake right yeah. of course <laughs> yeah it's it's pretty heavy um for such an otherwise light movie but i think it kind of goes in line it it, it kind of helps um the theme and the message that John Sayles is exploring about um, interference, government <laughs> secret projects. Uh, and, and, and then pairing that with uh, like that beach dude who is just, you know, a larger corporation kind of yeah. know, feeding financially <laughs> yeah. off of these government well, I think there's two, I think there's a very deliberate commentary on like, you know, um, like for political inaction, like, you know, you know that something bad is happening, but you just let it happen. And then that would affect like later on in life, it's going to affect your children. You know, yeah. it's like, you don't, you're not dealing with this now because it doesn't really affect you, but you have to keep in mind that yeah. like, this is going to affect generations down the line. So that's where that the is, kids become. Are well, the some ones people being understand eaten. that some people. Yeah. Do. <clears throat> that is, uh, that's really insightful. And you put it better than I could have. Like, I think that's exactly why that moment exists in the movie is, in an otherwise light movie that br that really brings that theme home, you know, yeah. the river is <laughs> generations down the exactly. line. The river I mean, that sounds kind kids. of, it, that sounds overreaching talking about it, but I don't, I don't think it is. I think sales had that in mind. If you watch even his early, the stuff he wrote early in his career, this and alligator, which alligator was one I considered too, uh, cause it's a great movie, but it's also about, um, experimentation on animals and uh these growth hormones that affect an alligator that's been flushed down the toilet and it's in the sewer it's <laughs> <laughs> huge and comes out starts eating people on the streets of chicago and i i, I think sales so probably with the the kids scene had that in mind and i think he had a lot to say about authority you know you've got corporate authority military authority and even the camp counselor, Paul Bartel's character, is such an asshole. <laughs> I mean, he really you got is. him. 
barking at these kids and all of them are like, don't be ridiculous. We're going to make some money on this and nothing's going to go wrong. Yeah. And they, and people suffer for it. And the people who suffer are kids. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's a really, in, again, in the middle of a relatively light movie, that is such a tragic scene. And the moment that really, <laughs> I can't believe I'm going to say this about piranha, but like it, it really tugs it at, at, at your, I don't know, not heartstrings, but it really gets, it, it impacts me emotionally is where um, one the counselor, um, I can't remember the character's name, but Belinda Belaski plays her when she gets pulled underwater mm-hmm. yeah. and, the, and the music swells. And I don't know exactly how they did the effect. I think they had her on a, a tow line or something and just had five people pulling her so that she would sink down. But she's got the fish, like literally so many fish on her that it pulls her down under the water and you see her reaching up for the surface that is devastating that moment yeah i think that she was the only one that i was actually sad to see die because like you have character development with her and you see her relationship with whatever dude's daughter and yeah she was sad it's so sad because she's such a good person and and just wants the best for and she's trying to help yeah, uh, uh, Grogan's daughter not have to do this swim because she's terrified and, mm. and she's, yeah, she's such a good person and that it really, it's really devastating and really connects you to the, the themes of the movie. Yeah. So it's a great, yeah. And little bites, horrible. horrible. So, uh, this was one that Eric wasn't able to join me for the review. And while I still stand by all of the things that I said, I feel like it didn't quite do justice to the movie because it was super late when I was recording and I was just like, bird, here are words because I have to get a podcast <laughs> out. But, like, so I, I talk about some of the shortcomings that the movie has, but I really emphasize how much I love it. And just in case that didn't come across in the review, I love Piranha. And uh, I, I completely forgot to mention, and um, you talking about some of the creature effects reminded me, the like weird little humanoid fish thing that's in the lab oh, yeah. that you see walking around. That is yeah. such an awesome design. And there, there are so many things to absolutely love about this movie. Um, definitely love the directing by Joe Dante. And like, I really do think that he, um, cause he's done a lot of like kids movies, mm-hmm. but with very mature themes. And I think that he has a really, really solid grasp on what makes horror movies fun, but without taking himself so seriously that it loses the fun. I do also think that some of the plot devices were so dumb. Like the fact that the two (laughs) main characters are just like, oh, they might be down here. Let's pull this lever. Yeah. What? There's someone in here telling us not to do it. Let's hit him over the head. It's like, oh my God, these characters are so dumb. It's so <laughs> yeah that's such a startling <sighs> moment too where uh dr hoke um just appeared <laughs> he's suddenly in a giant close-up screaming no <laughs> and it's like whoa my god who's this guy and their first response and, uh, is to hit him over the head with like an oxygen tank or something just so funny yeah oh god I, so dumb by the way kevin mccarthy who plays hoke is he's so great and ridiculous in the movie. And, um, <laughs> he's, you know, Joe Dante is such a, Joe Dante is a, a huge fan of, fifties uh, and you know, 40s, 50s, 60s genre films. And that's what he grew up with. And he cast a lot of actors from those movies in his movies. 
And that's why he reached out apparently to Kevin McCarthy because Kevin McCarthy was uh, best known for Invasion of the Body Snatchers, the Don Siegel 50s version. Mm-hmm. He's, he's the lead in that. And supposedly when he – Kevin McCarthy, uh, kind of like we were talking about with um, uh, John Voight earlier, he, you know, his career had fallen, he'd fallen out of favor a little bit, hadn't done anything in a while. But when Joe Dante reached out about Piranha, supposedly Kevin McCarthy was like, okay, let me think about it and spent like <laughs> – like, supposedly couldn't sleep and couldn't decide if he wanted to do it because he thought it was such a ridiculous movie. <laughs> And supposedly he's a really method actor and he spent like the whole night walking around Central Park and until the wee hours of the morning trying to decide and then finally said yes. <laughs> but thank God he did because he's so he's so great in the movie. Anyway, I, going on I, I love him in the movie and I love that story because he was in Ghoulies 3, Ghoulies Go to College. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I know. It was like after Piranha, he was like, eh, fuck it. <laughs> 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 um, yeah, yeah. And the thing, uh, before I forget, the little creature, I've always been on the fence about that. Um, I always thought the little creature, as cool as it is, is kind of distracting because they keep cutting away to it at fairly inopportune moments. It's just sort of this weird fish guy, mini fish guy walking around in the lab. And um, I went to a screening of Piranha that there was a Q&A with Joe Dante afterward. And and he admits, like supposedly the whole reason that's in there is because he he loves Ray Harryhausen and he wanted a stop motion creature <laughs> in the movie, so he had Phil Tippett do a that thing, and and, and insisted it stay in. Like I, I think uh, you know Roger Corman produced the movie, and supposedly there was a there were some heated discussions between him and Joe Dante about actually keeping it in, but they decided to do it because Joe Dante was like, this is just we've got to have this. It's just so cool, and he he went out. Well, and, and I think hilarious. That it, it doesn't really like affect any like it's just kind of there and then it ne- it's never mentioned again. Really. But I think it like, really <laughs> drives home the point of this was a government thing. Yeah. Trying to make these cre- like, I don't know that I feel like gave it be- because otherwise uh, we bred piranha to survive cold water and salt water and to be uh, poison resistant. So like, <laughs> what? what? No, you didn't. Oh, you made a walking fish? Okay, now I can buy the piranha. So, like, to right, me, it that... actually gave it some credibility in whatever stupid universe this is. <laughs> I, I keep you know saying what? that it's silly, but I love it. I love how silly it is because this movie, I do feel like, is doing it on purpose. Yeah. And I do think Joe Dante is an amazing director. And I think that he knew this is kind of dumb, but that's why it's so great. Right. <laughs> yeah, you know, I never thought about it that way, and I think you're right. I think that little little fish guy running around, uh, whatever it is, uh, does help sell the piranha and their abilities. That's a really good point. I am very happy that's in the movie now. Thank you. <laughs> there you go. I I have saved piranha. Yeah, you <laughs> saved know, piranha. I don't know the from what saved piranha because it's already an amazing movie. <laughs> yeah. Also, and just to, the the last the broad thing I was going to say the last thing I'll say before I forget is I think the again the laughs you're talking about and the weird stuff you're talking about really is the the sort of more buoyant stuff is really what helps sell the more tragic and the scary stuff later yeah. on. For sure. Oh yeah. Yeah. Yeah, because anyway, I like I wasn't expecting it to get quite as gory as it did. Even though like I knew it was rated R because the first scene is tits. Like <laughs> 
<laughs> I, yeah. I wasn't quite expecting that with uh, with a movie about flesh-eating fish, <laughs> oddly enough. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. And also, yeah, they, they let you know right out of the gate. There's, there's, there's some boobies. I, I want to know why no one has made a movie called Piranha Cane, like a hurricane. Pir- Piranha Cane. Sci-fi. Uh, you know, that. if you call the asylum, uh, <laughs> probably be like, not a bad idea. If you want to write it and direct it, come on over. They, I will they, say they gladly. Piranha Cane. <laughs> <laughs> That's great. Yeah. You know, I I'd watch it. There's one more um, before we move on. There's one other story behind the scenes story I love about this movie, which is they shot it in Austin, Texas, the bulk of it on a river. And so there's a lot of there's some underwater stuff in the river. Most of it is the surface stuff. And they shot a lot of the underwater stuff in a pool mm-hmm. and, and just, you know, dressed the pool like a river bottom in, in sure. the movie. But uh, the pool they use was this this was the pool at the university of southern california uh usc and they got in there and brought in you know fake plants maybe some real plants i don't know they they brought this all phil tippett brought all those fish in they got in there and brought the actors in and just started doing um they did ran some tests and then shot some footage of the attacks and did a lot of those close-ups you see in the movie in this pool well supposedly um you know, they did, they, they chose that location because they chose the pool because it was affordable. Well, supposedly they introduced an un, you know, uh, uh, prior to that, not, um, undiscovered, not undiscovered, but something that had not affected the pool before a, a, a fungus uh-huh. that had, <laughs> into the, into the water. And they had to completely drain the USC pool and scalp <laughs> it. <laughs> And then refill it after production, and then suddenly it became like the most expensive thing on the movie <laughs> <It is. laughs> because they had ruined the pool and nobody could use it for like a week or something after that. So they either some of the plants or the fish or something they brought into the pool cr- brought in also introduced a fungus or algae that um, prior to that was unknown to the pool <laughs> and undiscovered <laughs> by the staff. Because yeah, just like right. in the movie, they introduced an invasive species and ruined right. it for everyone. <laughs> exactly. It's like a microcosm of the movie. So life imitating art. Uh, all right. We still have four movies to get through. So Yeah, yeah we should speed it up. I'm, I go off on way too many tangents. Oh, no. I, I <laughs> no, love tangents. Yeah, this awesome. is just going to turn into a five-hour episode. That's fine. <laughs> let's, let's talk about Day of the Dead because you said it's not your favorite Romero zombie movie. I want to start with that. What is is your favorite Romero zombie, Romero zombie movie? Uh, probably um, Dawn of really? the Dead. Uh, de- definitely the original Dawn of the Dead is my favorite. I think it's uh, the most... Well, I, I actually was... I had a hard time choosing between Dawn and Day for this list. And I think I went with Day on a really like... Again, on a primal level... I think it has the best effects of, of all of Romero's zombie movies, which are the definitive zombie anything. Like they're oh, the paramount uh, zombie art in cinema. But I think of all of his zombie movies, Day of the Dead has the best effects and the best makeup. I think Tom Savini is at the height of his power. I think the work Savini did in Dawn of the Dead is good. 
uh, and ahead of its time and very gross, but it doesn't quite match day. The, the reason I had a hard time with picking is because Dawn is literally, and I sort of, I'll, I'll be totally honest, after the fact, I sort of a little bit regretted not choosing Dawn because it's literally <laughs> about consumption. Yeah, sure. Dawn is literally, Dawn of the Dead is literally about consumerism and consumption. They're in a sh- mall. But I think that's my favorite be- for that very reason. I think Dawn has a, no offense to the cast of Day of the Dead, but I think Dawn has a better cast, more likable characters, and a, more, a stronger theme. And a more, <laughs> a slightly just a more aesthetically pleasing location. <laughs> I mean, you're trapped in two different places in the movies, but there's a little more variety in, right. in Dawn. Yeah. In, day, in, that, in that oppressive mind for so much of the movie, um, which I don't really mind, but yeah, I think between, I think Dawn is probably my favorite um, of the Romero zombie movies. Yeah. Day is definitely a technically a lot, cleaner probably and and oh god the practical effects by Savinia are just amazing they're extraordinary like i still don't understand how they did some of those some of those shots I, th- with literal zombies <laughs> they, 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 they literally actual created zombies. zombies and people were actually torn apart they got the government involved like hey you got any uh viruses you're working on right now any, <laughs> any, uh, <laughs> you're using for biological warfare you know n- nothing major just yeah just need to make a movie just need to affect one person um, but, you know, I hadn't really thought of it until you were talking about like the characters in Dawn are much more likable. Uh-huh. You get to see those characters grow. Like, yeah, as much as I love Night of the Living Dead and I think it is just a masterpiece and like somehow it doesn't even compare just because it feels different somehow. Yeah. You also don't really grow with the characters in Night of the Living Dead and except mm-hmm. for... um. Oh, except for the main character, whose name I'm drawing a blank on right now, most of the rest of the characters are yeah. kind of terrible people, and um, uh, I'm drawing a blank on all of their all, all of their names. But even Barbara, <laughs> like she's yeah. passed out for the entire movie, so you don't get to know her. The people who are already in there, like, no, we're not going to let you in the basement. We're not going to do blah blah blah. Like you kind of hate most of them, except for the main guy, and then. He, yeah. he goes and gets himself shot. Um, his char- his character's name is Ben, I think. I think it's Ben. I think, I, yeah, it sounds Dwayne, right. I mean, the, the actor is Dwayne Jones. We'll yes. call him Dwayne. We'll call yeah. him Dwayne. <laughs> <laughs> and, and then yeah. in Day, like, it takes place, it feels like just one day, I think. Like, it might be two days, but it does not feel like a very prolonged period of time. But yeah. Dawn of the Dead, they're there for a while. And so you get to see them develop. You get to see their relationships. Like, it is a little bit more heartbreaking when that one dude gets uh, bitten by a zombie and you, like, slowly see him turn. So, yeah. I, yeah. I, I can dig it. Yeah, I just think Dawn is the most thematically strong. And, and I've never really thought about that. The, you know, Night, which is a groundbreaking movie on so many levels. Um but but night and day are yeah very short windows of time and they're very contained and stressful in that regard. And Don takes it. Yeah, I've I've never really thought about it that much. But yeah, Don takes its time and has bursts of intensity. Um, and I think Don is yeah 
you're exactly right. You get arcs in the characters. And on top of that, oh God, yeah. I mean, you guys talked about this. <laughs> I, I hate, I, I'm not trying to put down any actors or anything, but you guys talked about this on your episode. I think the, I think the actors in Dawn are just better actors too. Um, and I think in particular, Ken Foray, who's the, the lead in Dawn, his performance is um, just amazing. I mean, I like Ken Foray and everything, but his performance in particular in Dawn is just like, he has some like Oscar worthy moments in that movie. And uh, yeah, aside from, uh, you know, in day you've got, I guess your protagonists, like you guys were saying in the podcast is probably Lori Cardiel's character. Uh, Sarah, is that her name? Sarah, I think so, is right. Yeah. Right. I think the protagonist yeah. is Bub. <laughs> um, sure, absolutely. Like, yeah, like, I think you're right. Like, yeah. I, I think that in Day yeah. of the Dead, it can it completely switches it. Mm-hmm. Totally just jumping in on what you were saying. I think that Day of the Dead, it's not about the humans. It's about the zombies. Yeah. Bub is the protagonist because you really don't see that many zombie attacks, but you see a whole lot of zombies being tortured. And you see just humans being terrible to other humans. And so it's not until the very end where it's kind of like, all right, now we're getting some retribution for what you've done to our quote unquote family. So, uh, yeah, I think that Day of the Dead is the day for the dead. Yeah, <laughs> that's great. I think you're exactly right. I mean, it that falls right in line with what Romero loves about about the zombies too is like they're how they reflect humanity in a super basic way. And I think, I think you're exactly right. That's really perceptive. I think day is literally they flop and the zombies are more human than the humans. I mean, for sure they are the, you know, they're, they're out to eat humans and kill them, but they're, you know, the humans are all so aggressive and um, they're all such terrible people and day no, I mean, almost all of them. You're kind of on the fence about the doctor, Dr. Frankenstein, Richard Liberty's character. <laughs> Sarah's, I guess, your protagonist, but everybody else is a maniac, wild card, especially Joe Pilato, who just screams at yeah. everybody. And by the way, I'm not, I know I chose Day of the Dead. I'm not putting down, I still love the movie. <laughs> oh, yeah, it, it is still amazing. Movie, but, oh, it's incredible. And I, I could watch it about any time. I think it's a technically amazing movie. And despite these things we're talking about, it's a, I think it's a great movie. I think it's still, I know Romero says of his dead films, it's his favorite of his own is day, um, is what he said. I I could say that. Yeah. That's what he used to, that's what he used to say in, uh, in interviews before he passed away. So, um, I think it's a great film and I think the reason I chose it for the eaten alive list uh, is because it has the most incredible effects to this to this day. Not just zombie effects, but gore effects. It's across the board. I don't think anything's really topped it. It's so realistic, including. I mean, The Walking Dead um, has its moments. I, I haven't caught up on every episode <laughs> in quite a while, but there's there's too many episodes. Yeah. Right. Um, Right, but but Walking Dead is uh, has incredible makeup work in it, but a lot of it is augmented digitally. Yeah, um, I think it's, it's Greg Nicotero. It's noticeable. Um, I think K and B still does a great job on it, and I think they are taking a page from Savini for sure because Nicotero, 
who does Walking Dead, worked on Day of the Dead and worked with Savini yeah. uh, at that time. So he's definitely taking a page from that. But I think despite that, I still think um, I still think Day of the Dead is the pinnacle. And that's why I chose it because I just think it's the the scenes in particular where, where people are getting eaten are just horrifying. They're, where where they're insane. Oh, yeah, they're, the one the one that really gets me is when uh, I can't remember which character it is actually off the top of my head, but where the eyeballs like popped out. Yeah, it is like crazy because he's literally scr- like I don't understand how they did it because the actor is screaming and it doesn't like cut away and then cut back. I don't know. It literally looks like they just murdered this guy. <laughs> they just straight up yeah. killed him. Maybe I, they did. They, did. <laughs> they decided yeah. to take a page out of Cannibal Holocaust. I'm like, you know what? We're just going to actually murder people. <laughs> unlike <laughs> unlike Cannibal Holocaust. They they wussed out, yeah, so why, we're going to do it. Yeah, why didn't this movie come under investigation? <laughs> exactly. <laughs> um, I agree with you. That's the death that I always think of when I think of this movie, and it's so horrifying. And I think there's different components that do that. Um, the eyeball gag is kind of the first gag. Like you have this guy who literally knows he's being surrounded by this horde of zombies, which if you try to put yourself in that place, it's not, you're not just getting eaten alive. You're surrounded by essentially people or what, what once (laughs) that's the worst right there. You're (laughs) surrounded by people. (laughs) Yeah, You're surrounded by a horde of rotting, really smelly, (laughs) disgusting moaning people so you're at who Comic-Con. aren't yeah <laughs> oh brutal oh. <laughs> oh man that was uh that was that was that was funny so, <laughs> um yeah but you're surra- you're surrounded by this horde of what, what what were once people they're moaning they want to eat you and this, so this character and i can't remember the character's name either honestly you probably only hear it once in the movie but He's, he's surrounded by these, this horde of people and they, he can't get away and he just starts to go crazy in that moment and starts shooting at them and he's laughing because he's so terrified and they hold him down on this table and I think it's like these it's a multiple components that make it so visceral and horrible. Like for, for starters, they yeah, start peeling his forehead back and his eyeball falls out God. and you see that they, they like grab his eyelid so he can't close his eye. He's going to have to watch this happening. And then they grab, they start tearing away at his stomach, which is component two. And then they start pulling his head off. And they made that animatronic head. And you guys had mentioned it. I don't know exactly where the cut is. I think maybe you, the back of a zombie wipes frame or something. But they pull his head off. The animatronic head is screaming. And the, the, the final thing that really sells it is in the sound design, they pitch up his scream as his vocal cords yeah. are being stretched, his scream crazy. pitches up high. It's just the most, it's just every technical aspect goes into making it the most effective and disgusting and horrible getting eaten scene ever. Yeah. This, uh, the entire, well, the first half of the movie, I was like, why did he choose this for getting eaten? And then it gets to like some of those scenes. I'm like, oh right, that's why. Yeah, that was thinking the exact same thing. When you get to, but then you get to the end, and it's just like, okay, I totally get it now. Well, and like I, I want to know how he was still screaming without lungs. That's uh, <laughs> that's what I want to know. <laughs> right. It's like Stuart Stuart Gordon uh, 
in Re- when he was making Reanimator had that problem he in his head with <laughs> Gale's character. He was like, "We got to have lungs hanging off the head." <laughs> they were like, this looks dumb. He, let's say he could just talk. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> just the the residual yeah. air that was still around. Um, <laughs> super quick. Eric, I think has to go. I know I'm the worst. Uh, I'm the worst. No worries, no worries. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. No, no, no. I'm. It's uh, it's all good. <laughs> it's been so much fun though. Like I've had an absolute blast. So good talking to you, yeah. Matt. Yeah, same. This has been a lot of fun, and uh, have a good uh, rest of your day. And thanks for doing this. Oh, well, this was. Yeah, absolutely. Same to you. You, yeah, Eric, where do you want people to find you? I want you to find me on Twitter at the Chimerican, on Instagram at, Chim- at Chimerican Reviews, um, on your personal my personal Twitter. Twitter account. God, I've been <laughs> I watched this every single day this week. <laughs> I need to just start doing it for you. I think I remember <laughs> more than you are at this point. On my personal Twitter account at Eric J A Y Harris, or on Letterbox at Eric J A Y. I am sorry. It's okay. I hate that I have to do this, but. It's okay. The, the podcast is consuming you. Don't it worry. Is. Don't worry. Yeah, the podcast is <laughs> totally consuming you, and and we've been very long winded. <laughs> I think I'm the one who was, who has made this <laughs> long winded. Oh no, it's totally fine though. It's great. Like this is great stuff. I love it. Yes, th- this is like uh, it's so much fun. Uh, I'm not going anywhere. You're still held hostage until we finish this. <laughs> great, great. I'm in. I'm in for the haul. Uh, and tomorrow's episode, Eric, you'll you'll be there. No crap, you might not. Wait, no, no, yes. I'll be there for tomorrow's. Yes, this is coming out on Friday. Yes, and so we will be putting out an episode on Saturday at some point. I don't know when. It might be very very late. It might be like two in the morning on Sunday. But uh, but yeah, we'll we'll have a uh, the first of our Knoxville Horror Film Fest coverage episodes out on Saturday. All right, I can't wait. All right, I'm so cool. looking forward to it. Anyway. It's been a blast, guys. Thank you so much. And you are now free to talk about me as much as you'd like. God, Eric <laughs> is the worst. Can you believe that he hadn't seen Halloween and The Fog? And oh, he's still in the room. How, what a How embarrassing. Oh. <laughs> it's just awful. You should fire that guy. <laughs> oh, hey, Eric. <laughs> I thought you were leaving. Oh, all right. I'm, I'm gone now. <laughs> My feelings have been hurt. Love you, buddy. Bye. Bye. <laughs> Um. Yeah. So, like the first half of the movie, I was just like, I I don't know where the deaths are, and the second half more than made up for it with all of that delicious zombie gory goo. Yeah, for sure. Yeah, it it takes its time building up. Um, I do love it has a great opening scene that pulls you in, which, uh, you know, it's them in the helicopter and they're trying to scout for more survivors and more people who are alive. And I want to say, you know, they shot most of the movie in Pittsburgh in a mine underground, but the movie takes place in Florida. Yeah. So they shot the exteriors, the brief exteriors that you get, including the opening scene. And I think Fort Myers, Florida is where they were, if, if, if memory serves. But I love that opening scene where the zombies are. You know, they they get on the megaphone, they land the helicopter and get on the megaphone and call out for survivors and in return just comes a horde of zombies. That's all that's left. And it's got this apocalyptic, you know, feel. Yeah. Well, and it does such a great job of letting, like, it tells you this world is overrun by zombies, so you don't actually need to see that many for the rest of the movie. Like, because you just know 
they are surrounded there are a ton of zombies um and and it's just really good world building by setting that up with there is no one left alive everyone is zombies the entire world is screwed at this point and uh, yeah you get so much from just a couple of opening scenes it's great oh yeah it's it's beautiful world building and i think it of Romero's films, it's the production design in that opening bit is some of the best in any of his films outside of, I think Creepshow is also great, which came right before this, but uh, it's just such a great scene and builds the world. I think the only other indication you have of where things stand in the world in a direct way in the film is when someone in the bunker says the ratio is like 150,000 zombies to one human. Yeah. I think someone says it's something like that, and it's like they, they've kind of come up with that projection or that theory, and that's terrifying. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that's pretty that's a pretty hopeless uh, scenario there. So, uh, one more thing before we dive into Tremors, because still more yeah. movies. Um, yeah. I can't remember if I mentioned this a little bit earlier or not. Like, I don't think that I mentioned it like this episode, but I can't remember if I talked about it during the review but going along with the i think that bub is the protagonist uh oh, yeah. and sarah or whatever her name is um is like the also kind of protagonist throughout the course of the movie you slowly see her lose her mind as bub gains more of his and totally yeah yeah I, I i yeah i just i i forgot about that piece when mentioning that earlier it's like oh there's a thing that probably doesn't yeah. need said but <laughs> no you're exactly right i think that's so true i think bub is ultimately the um the protagonist and joe Pilato's character uh rhodes <laughs> screaming rhodes gets his come up <laughs> and thanks to bub i think bub is really the hero of the movie and it it brings the uh it brings romero's idea of the zombies being a, a reflection of humanity full circle yeah and humans humans become so inhuman in the face of this tragedy and the the zombies in a weird warped way become more human. Well, and like that's what makes anything zombie actually good is not the zombies. It's highlighting how terrible humanity is. And like Eric and I were talking about that in terms of there are so many zombie everythings and a lot of it just starts getting overwhelming because so much of it isn't good. And and I think that's because too many people get why zombies are scary wrong. It's not just a horde of undead creatures. It's this is the base of humanity. And yeah. 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 I mean, he, no one was more facile at those themes than George Romero. You know, he always had that kind of like we were talking about, about, about John Sayles and Joe Dante. He always had those themes in his pocket and very slyly incorporated them into his movies. I mean, some people I know have said that they think he, he's a little too overt and obvious, but I don't think so. I think it's, especially in something like Dawn of the Dead, which it's just a very well-balanced movie. Yeah, absolutely love it's it. It's great. So yeah. Speaking of movies that I absolutely love, let's talk about Tremors. Hell Yeah. Oh my God, I love Tremors. Yeah, well, I I love Tremors as well. And it's a great um, horror movie in the tradition of like sort of horror comedy adventure. It's got a lot of great adventure aspects to it, sort of like Jaws does. Um, And it falls into the same um, 
I would say realm is anaconda. It's, it's not so much mastication or, or chewing as it is. You're just getting swallowed whole. Well, you're kind of being hooked uh, by these tongues with little <laughs> yeah. mouths. You're, you're being and, grabbed and by graboids. In. You're being grabbed by graboids, yeah, by these tongues with mouths and pulled in and just swallowed whole. And it's pretty terrifying um, while also being a very fun movie. And it was it's sort of like the uh, more intimate version of the Sarlacc pit in Return of the Jedi. <laughs> <laughs> because I thought about putting that on the list and I was like, no, that's not a really a horror movie and... I want to, you know, I just, I don't know. I just love Tremors. Yeah. And that's such a blip in that movie, whereas Tremors is about these worms. Um, And I just think it'd be terrifying to be eaten by this bizarre creature that you don't know where it comes from. And it's got a beak of some kind, like this (laughs) three uh, piece beak and these tongues and the inside of its mouth is all bristly. And it just, oh, it's such a, the creature design is just incredible. And like you guys were saying on the uh, on your on your podcast about the movie, um, it is the last to me. It's the last great, entirely practical creature movie because there's no CG augmentation. It's all it's all big creature heads that they made and smaller creature puppets. Uh, you know, models that are I don't know quarter scale or whatever. Yeah, that they would put into a set and it'll try to light the same way <laughs> and, and silly little like hand sock puppets, puppets. i love yeah. that yeah they're literally just puppets the mouth the little the, you're talking about the little tongues right yeah yeah they're just hand i mean it's like literally there's someone um hydraulically i think or maybe pneumatically controlling the bigger creature and there's just people's arms in those things it's like and it's like meth. yeah right <laughs> yeah with a lot of ultra slime <laughs> on that <laughs> And yeah, it's, it's great. I mean, it's, it's just, it, it's like, um, I think the last two great practical creature movies are probably this. And when, and when I say this, I mean like effects wise, sure. just talking about the movie. I mean, the last great fully, yeah. Creature realized movies are, uh, the little shop of horrors movie musical. Yeah. With the, the Audrey two plant. It's just ridiculous. It's ridiculous. You gotta that, love Audrey too. Gotta love Audrey too. Um, that plant is, uh, that's another one I considered cause it's such a great eaten alive movie. I mean, <laughs> how horrible eaten by a plant, but, um, that creature, that plant is so, it is crazy how facile and fast that thing moves, uh, considering it's a huge, animatronic thing yeah designed by jim henson and i feel the same way about tremors i think the uh the guys who made the the worms and tremors the, it's the last it's really is the last great practical creature movie and i want to say that was adi i think it was woodruff and gillis or they i know it at least they worked on them on the worms i'm not sure if they designed it maybe it was stan winston who designed it gosh that's terrible i don't remember but i but yeah it's like they're, <laughs> i think they're that amazing. it is understandable that you don't remember yeah well all these guys all very often there was overlap like one of them would get hired as the around this time one of them would get hired as the main the designer or front man and he would hire everybody else to work with him on it it was very often stan winston at this time uh but woodruff and gillis were always there too the adi guys and i think they worked very heavily on it but 
anyway, I'm going off on tangents again. I think the point, point is it's the last great practical creature movie, and I think it would be terrifying to be eaten by the Graboids. The worst death in the movie is where the guy who, who I don't even know when he's introduced in the movie. He's just suddenly there to be eaten. But it's the guy <laughs> who lives in the trailer in the town, and he he falls off of his trailer, and then he gets he sits down on the tire, and they're like, no, you got to get higher up. That's not high enough. And the creature pulls him through the middle of the tire underground. <laughs> and you hear him screaming underground. You don't even see him get swallowed like you do Victor Wong or the other characters. But it's just so scary because you can still hear him. Yeah. Well, and one of the things that I love about Tremors, even though it is completely unrealistic and obviously there's not giant sandworms from who knows where out there. The... the I don't want to say that it's the most realistic because obviously that's silly, Um, (laughs) but it's the most you have nowhere to run Ness because like with the thing, it's frozen in the Arctic. Yeah, maybe it eventually gets out and takes over the world, but like in that immediate setting, it can get frozen in the Arctic. Anaconda, just stay out of the rainforest. Piranha, stay out of the water. I mean, you know, yeah, they are eventually spreading out through all of the ocean so hardly anywhere is going to be safe but just stay out of the water day of the dead stay away from zombies um the blob which we're about to get to you know again you can freeze it and jaws stay out of the water but with tremors it's you're on land and it hunts you by vibration so yeah everyone is going to die yeah yeah i love movies where the stakes are that high because you really have nowhere to go. And also you brought up the vibrations. I also love movies where the science of the creatures is very laid out and they come up with some really creative attributes for the the creature. Yeah. But they don't explain where it comes from. And (laughs) I love movies where they, Tremors has one of the best uh, group speculation scenes in any creature movie ever i love it when they're in chang's market and they're talking about well maybe they're from outer space maybe it's a government thing and um that that's great i just i love that scene in this kind of movie and i i think it's always scarier too when there's no explanation for where something comes from because when you explain something you can figure it out and like we were talking about before it's the fear of the unknown is diminished when you can explain it yeah but the vibration thing and the um you know, when they're looking at the creature that kills itself by running into the wall <laughs> and they're looking at the, uh, yeah, the, the, the spindles or whatever you want to call them on its back, the little things that it pushes its way through the soil with. Yeah. Um, oh, it's just great. And you've got Finn Carter as the scientist to sort of explain <laughs> what's going on. And it, it's just, uh, they really play it to the hilt. They really come up with every creative way to kill people, eat them, pull them into the ground, and elaborate on what these creatures can do and the science behind them. And, and they feel the other thing, the way they describe the creatures, because they're subterranean, they perfectly give the creatures the kind of evolutionary attributes that would accompany a creature like that oh, without yeah. explaining like- where they're. Yeah, that is exactly what you would expect them to look like. Yeah, yeah. Like they feel like they come from that place, that environment. So then you just have to ask, well, where have they been? 
And I love that. I love that they do not explain. Well, and like Eric and I talked about this um, on on the review. That is one of the things that I love so, so, so much about Tremors is it is intentionally being a horror comedy. So like earlier when we were talking about Piranha and I was like, it's funny. I don't know if everything in there is supposed to be funny or if it just makes me laugh (laughs) because it's just silly. But with Tremors, they are trying to be funny and like they get it so even the uh, the conversation of where do they come from um on one of the commentary tracks or behind the scenes or whatever like the writers and directors are like yeah like that's what you see in every horror movie is any giant monster is either the result of a government or science experiment outer space or ancient creature that has been unearthed like th- that is the only three explanations that you ever see so we're just going to suggest all three of them and not care about which one it is. Like it, it just doesn't matter. <laughs> right. Yeah. Yeah. And it's a great scene. It's another very funny scene when they're speculating as well as coming up with the name. I mean, Graboid <laughs> calling them Graboids came from this movie. Who, who is it? Victor Wong's character, Chang. Is he the one who ultimately says, yeah, Graboid. I like that. I, I think so. I think Cause he was trying one, to come right? up with yeah. a name because he was trying to like find a way to monetize it. Right, right, right. Um, which becomes a, a running theme in all of the sequels. Uh, uh, and, and yeah, I was just saying, I think that's so great. Both of those scenes are great and so funny. And I think a lot of that comes from, and like I said before, I think it's a great adventure movie. Um, a lot of the comedy also comes from uh, um, the, the, the du- the duo of Fred Ward and Kevin Bacon. They're both God, just they're so good. Earl and Val are one of the great buddy teams. I mean, they, I put them up there with Manny Bogey and Bacall. You know, I mean, they're, <laughs> they're just, they're, they're, you know, yeah. uh, Gibson and Glover. I mean, I, they're just right up there as one of the great matchups. Um, they just seem like real dudes who have known each other for a long time. And just aren't quite bright enough to get out of their situation in life. Yeah. As <laughs> yeah. much as I love Michael Gross and I love the fact that like he's the through line oh. in all of the movies, I do kind of wish that Kevin Bacon and Fred Ward, like I, I, I wish that it had followed them. But at the same time, yeah. I also don't because, oh man, the, the sequels are just so, I, I love them so much because they name each of the different iterations of Tremors like exactly what a normal person would name them in that situation like uh, yeah. whichever one it is where they fly because they yeah. propel you know fire gas it's like oh let's just call them ass blasters yeah <laughs> because not? that's how they fly just yep that's what i would do <laughs> yeah yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah yeah um oh god yeah it's, it's, you're exactly right it's just it's exactly what if you saw that iteration of that creature and you were like oh god it's a it's a it's a it's a uh, ass blast exactly <laughs> and that, i love yeah i love that they do that it's so funny i think part of the humor too i mean the guys who um wrote tr- tremors wrote um they kind of struck out and hit it their first hit was uh short circuit uh the, the, same the robot wrote short circuit yeah. Oh so I my think God. they <laughs> Yes. They definitely, you know, have uh they, they know how to they know they know their comedic beats, I guess is what I'm trying to say. And I think yeah. they did a good job comedy beats in uh in in tremors. 
I mean, <laughs> the paper rock scissors gag, um, the pogo stick gag, which by the way, you got Ariana Richards pre Jurassic Park, Lex from Jurassic Park. That's her. Oh. You've got, uh, yeah, who else is in the cast? Michael Gross. Reba McIntyre is brilliant. <laughs> I mean, and this whole, whole survivalist uh, shootout, and which culminates in that line, uh, looks like you stepped into the wrong Galdern rec room or goddamn rec room, whatever he says. <laughs> that's just, that's amazing. You know, so it, it's it's just one great scene after another. And um, and yeah, it's like you guys were saying in another podcast, it's the, it's the hot lava. The floor is hot lava. <laughs> that's what it is. Like, I don't understand how anyone could ever watch Tremors and not have fun. Oh, no. I mean, if I ever met someone who said they didn't like Tremors and they didn't think it was a fun movie or they thought it was stupid, I would be very suspicious of them as a a person. (laughs) I would not. I I don't think I'd want to. I'd probably not want to hang out with them. Yeah. (laughs) It's just such a fun movie. I mean, it... It, it really is like I'm pretty sure that this was the one that I was talking about um, that I said yeah. I could watch this one with my dad and yeah. my dad does not like horror movies and he thinks that a lot of movies are dumb but yeah. if Tremors was on he would say this is dumb and he would keep watching it absolutely it's a family gather around let's watch this thing kind of thing yeah. I mean every it just has so many great little beat the kind of beats in it that I find really fun and effective like when they when they finally kill the first tremor with the dynamite and the guts just rain down there's that moment (laughs) of triumph the moment of triumph that's undercut by tremor chunks (laughs) raining raining down on them even like when the two wrote the there's so many great little stupid jokes in it like even the the roadside crew guys um when the uh, when the one guy gets killed and the other guy's like carmine carmine it's like who chose the name carmine for that guy (laughs) like what like is there just something about him saying carmine like what a interesting choice of name for that character i yeah i mean we could literally talk about tremors for hours but i also don't really know what else to say because it's just like yeah yeah. it's great it's great, yeah. We and, and I don't want to keep us for seventeen hours here, I and mean, we keep going off. And I, I mean, I, I do, but going. yes, eventually, yeah. <laughs> eventually, I'm also yeah. going to have to leave. And it would be weird if you just like closed out the entire podcast yourself. Yeah, yeah. Maybe that'd wanna... be kind of interesting. I'll start a podcast and then just walk away, see what happens. Yeah. <laughs> I should start recording right now. So that we can do <laughs> I don't want to do that to anybody. Um, just me talking in a in a, in a void about movies uh, that's great. just my day-to-day life but uh yeah yeah we can we can move on but it, it just the last thing i'll say about tremors it's it, it is also very scary in some scenes like the, the station wagon scene where the husband and wife get killed is really it's scary so sad it's so sad so sad she's yeah. like jim digging into the dirt oh, god and, and it just feels so unavoidable and uh yeah like tremors even though it is hilarious beginning to end the horror is almost more of a this is just sad rather than scary you know like even the uh, the old dude who um who died up on the telephone pole because he didn't want to get eaten by a uh, by a graboid it's just like yeah yeah that's, 
that's really sad to think of him dying from dehydration just up on a pole by himself and the uh that sheep farmer and which or was it sheep or pig i think it was sheep wasn't it i think it was sheep yeah it's sheep yeah who, who raises sheep in the desert <laughs> yeah yeah it's kind of strange i never really thought about that but it's a little weird <laughs> yeah yeah that really scared me as a kid for some reason that particular uh kill because he's just standing there and it's kind of startling when the dust kicks up and he just all he does is duck down below frame but uh, afterwards like you see scared. all of the dead sheep and it's just yeah it's bloody yeah sad yeah it does the jaws thing where they they don't reveal the creature for quite some time, which is pretty, pretty cool. Yeah. When he, I mean, I love the moment where Fred Ward says, he's like, is it a whole bunch of them? And he's like, no, just one. And then it just, <laughs> that's the first time you see it. It just blasts out of the earth. I mean, man, so many, so many great moments. And you were talking about, you know, it would have been great to see those characters more. They did. Have you seen the trailer for the, the, the series that didn't get picked up? No. Yeah, they made a series. They did a pilot episode of a Tremors series oh, with Kevin. Yeah, with Kevin Bacon, and um, somebody put the. I assume it's still online, but somebody put the. Um, it's clearly sort of a temp trailer. I don't think it was quite finished because it has music from. Um, uh, it follows in it. <laughs> <laughs> 